Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of One Step Beyond. This is a podcast about transformation through leadership. On our show, we have conversations with people who are creating change in business, in their community, and in their lives by choosing to lead. This is about daring to overcome barriers, push past limitations, and reshape our present and our future. I've been thinking a lot about change lately. Not because I want anything to change, but more so about like how people just grow and change over their lives. You know, like if I look back at myself two years ago or five years ago or 10 years ago, there are a lot of things that I like, but also there are a lot of things where I'm like, oh gosh, I can't believe I thought that or I said that or I acted that way. And a lot of stuff where I'm like, yeah, that I feel good about that today. And also at all those times, I probably thought I was like, you know, hey, I feel good about where I'm at. I feel good about who I am. It's funny how like kind of looking backwards, you can always see like where you're at and just be like, meh, I'm glad I'm who I am today. But at the time you're like, no, like I'm, I'm totally who I should be. And part of that's like, you know, you can't judge who you were. You can only judge who you are. But as I'm getting a bit older and, and as I'm thinking more about change, I'm like, you know, I don't also always want to be looking in hindsight. I, I kind of want to be thinking about now, like, well, am I as good now as I should be? And when I say good, I mean, am I my best version of myself more often than not? Rather than aspiring to be a certain way in the future or kind of looking back and being like, geez, I'm glad I'm not that way anymore. I really want to focus right now on just being the best version of me as often as I can. So being it more in that like current aspirational space and really trying to activate that. It's a little exhausting because like I'm really working on catching myself day to day and like focusing on like doing and being the best that I can. And it's been cool. It's easier when I'm around my daughter because like, yeah, of course, I'm super psyched and I always want to be the best example for her. But at the same time, I'm like, huh. How do I be on the ball like that everywhere else? It's been an interesting thing for me to be experiencing, like really focusing like that. I don't know. Like, I, I just feel like, yeah, like change is a cool thing, but I don't want to wait for change. I want to be active in that change. And that's what I've been focusing on a lot. With that, it really brings us to our guest today. So um, today we're going to have Ross Trenary, who is the recently new CFO at Level 10 Energy. He spent 15 years in the San Francisco Bay Area building a successful finance career in the renewable energy industry. He's held roles in early technology pioneers like BrightSource, massive public companies like NRG, and privately held developers like Clearway. In his current role at Level 10, he primarily helps the company meet its own capital needs while scaling the business both rapidly and responsibly. Ross also comes from the punk and hardcore scene where he found his early lessons from that time in his life still apply to his professional life today. And it's funny because I've known Ross since like we were both very young and Ross is a bit younger than me. So it's been cool to like watch him grow and the things that he's done and where he's gone are so cool. And the thing that I really like the, the best is he's still exactly that same guy, but the best version of that guy continually. This has definitely been one of the interviews I've been looking forward to the most because like He's just like a wonderful person and super insightful in being an authentic business leader. And he shows all of that today. But before we get to it, I want to thank our sponsors, SE Electronics. And if you haven't yet, then please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. So let's get to the episode. I'm your host, Aram Arslanian, and this is One Step Beyond. All 
right, everyone, welcome back. And like I said in our intro today, we are with someone who is a, definitely a really longtime friend of mine, Ross, who is the CFO at Level 10 Energy. Ross, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Aram. And, uh, you know, I just, I wanted to start off by saying, one, I've been super proud of, of watching what you've done with, you know, your business and, and with the podcast. And I'm a fan of many of the episodes. And, you know, I got to say, I was, I was both excited and, and very humbled to be asked to join. So uh, thanks for including me uh, in the list here. Absolutely, man. And thank you for those kind words. What a, what a nice way to start our episode. That's, I hope everyone who's listening to this, take note. If you're ever on the podcast, start with a compliment. It feels, it feels I, I nice. I softball questions, you know, so, <laughs> so trying to put myself in your good graces as we get going. <laughs> I love it, man. Okay. So let's start with a little bit of background. You know, you and I, of course, we met through punk and hardcore. Sure. And one of the things that I love about um, being able to to do the podcast is not every guest has a, a history there, but a lot of them do. And what I love is how people take those things that they learned in punk and hardcore and apply it into the business world. So my first question for you is just give everyone a little bit of background about Allegiance and like, you know, that being the main band you played in. But also as a part two, I'd love to hear about the transition from that being one of your main focuses to actually like starting and really digging into your career. Sure. Yeah. So Allegiance was a straight edge hardcore band um, for, for people who that's meaningful to. Uh, it started in in a, about year 2000 and ended about, you know, 2006, 2007. Uh, and it was, you know, like with a lot of, I think, people who are growing up in the punk and hardcore scene, it was a DIY kind of project just with a bunch of friends who, who got to, together to do something uh, almost fun on the weekends and it grew out of control into something that it was, you know, we were really lucky that it, that it took us to the places it did, but it did so in ways that probably none of us expected or intended. Uh, so that was, you know, it was a great adventure, um, lifelong friends, uh, both inside of the band and, and in the community outside of the band, you yourself included took us around the country multiple times, took us to Europe for a month. Uh, so really can't say enough good things about what that experience brought to me in my life. Uh, and, you know, an interesting transition to my career side. Well, first on the career side, one, I was doing both at the same time for a while. Uh, so I, we started Allegiance while I was in college, going to school at Berkeley. Uh, my first job out of Berkeley was at uh, one of the big four accounting firms. And I was actually doing both, which was, it was a strange kind of real <laughs> environment, right? So here I am, big four accountant, auditor, uh, you know, telling them that I've got to save up all my PTO because this summer I'm going to be gone for a month and a half doing what, you know, playing in a, in a punk band, you know, it was, it was very difficult to explain um, while at the same time, you know, in the punk and hardcore scene, it's not like uh, you know, being a, an accountant in, in a big four firm auditing major corporations is something that is, uh, it's not, it's, it's one that's maybe not that common. And also too, it's not that cool, right? Uh, so it was one of these things where it was an early experience in being able to move from one environment to another and still remain true to yourself. 
right? So <clears throat> being able to be a hardcore kid in the business world and being able to be sort of professionally minded in the hardcore environment. And I think that I, I took some of that one. I, I mean, I certainly applied a lot of the hardcore ethos to you know, the way I do my daily work and the way I interact with people. But I also took a lot of what I was getting out of my education and my professional experience and applied that to what we were doing in the band and some of the roles that I played in the band, I think were influenced by that. Yeah. And, you know, I, I want to speak to that just being really true to who you are in both those worlds, because I, I knew that you were uh, in college. I knew that you were heading to, down like a, a professional um, pathway. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed so seamless. Like y- it never seemed like you were someone who was trying to like hide anything. Like you weren't like, oh yeah, I don't want to talk about work. Like you would very easily talk about work and you'd very easily talk about school and kind of like what you thought your future might be. And it sounds like at work, you never actually tried to hide the punk side either. Is that, is that correct? That you were able to really just like be yourself in both, uh, both spaces. I, I was, and, and I think I almost had to be, I mean, and look, it didn't come without its challenges, right? Uh, in you're in a counterculture environment. It's not necessarily easy uh, to you know, be the suit in the room or, you know, you want to be it, these, these counterculture environments are ironic in a way because so much of it is about fitting into the counterculture. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and so there's a bit of an imposter syndrome around, Hey, I don't know, like I'm not wild enough. I'm not angry enough. I'm not, you know, I'm not, jumping off of the right, you know, the tallest thing and doing the craziest thing because I'm afraid I might get hurt because I can't go to work tomorrow with a black eye. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and at the same time in the business world or, or in my professional environment or in school, you know, it was what I was doing on the weekends was not common. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and so there was, it, it didn't come without its struggles, but I remember, uh, two stories. One is that PTO story, which was funny. The other was when I was, wrapping up my undergraduate education, I remember one of the last finals that I had was a presentation in class for a, it was an organizational behavior class at at Berkeley's business school. And I wasn't going to be able to make the final because we were, we had a show, I think in Boston, the day we were like already going to have started our tour because the final was scheduled sort of after the semester ended during the summer. And I wasn't going to be there. And I remember going up to the professor and I had done pretty well in the class the whole time and trying to explain, you know, just trying to figure out how am I going to try to get myself out of a final of never <laughs> doing anything like that before. And so I go up and I have this, I've spun this whole narrative about how you know, the most interesting organizational behavior experience I've ever had is you're trying to live with six guys in a van for a month and a half, make it work. Everybody's got to pull, you know, the same direction. You get in all, all of the interpersonal dynamics that you could imagine unfold over the course of yeah. a tour, right? A month and a half long tour across the United States. I mean, you know this as, as well as I do. Uh, and, and so what was interesting was she totally leaned into that. It was great. Right. It was one of these things where I was really nervous about being accepted in in that environment and having this other part of my life be something that was that was interesting to somebody else in the same way that it was interesting to me. And what I found was that here is this person with a lot of deep experience and knowledge in this particular sphere of of education. And she wanted to know more. So she said, look, 
I want to know about that. I want you to teach me about that. Let's scrap the final. Who cares about the final? Why don't instead you and I meet up and let's talk about your experiences there. Let's talk about how we can apply some of this, some of these concepts in the class to what you're doing in your real life. And that was a, I mean, one, it was, it was reaffirming for me too, or, or as, as one aspect, but also I think it spoke to that individual and, and the institution itself and the flexibility and, and some of the qualities of, of the education there. Man, that is an incredible story. That's super cool. So did that essentially just become your final? Was that you were like educating this professor? Yeah, yeah. We sat, I, we, I went back to, you know, the school, uh, you know, unscheduled time, office hours, and we sat for over an hour and she asked me questions. I asked her questions. We traded stories. I was, you know, talking allegiance and hardcore and tour and, uh, you know, who knows? I probably told the story about, you know, Iran, uh, <laughs> right? but it, you know, these, these things all came up and it was, it was really fluid and it was, it was very affirming. And I think to have that happen early on and, you know, cause college is also part of your professional career. I think it's not, it's not the job, but it's, it's the training ground for how you're, you kind of learning how to interact at that level. And to have that happen that early on, I was very fortunate to have somebody take that approach as opposed to, you can easily expect it could have just been, hey, tough cookies, finals on June 8th, you need to be here on June 8th or you fail the class. It's that simple. Everybody else has to be here. Why are you special? Right, but instead somebody said, hey, you are special. That is interesting. That's different. Let's see how we can work with that. And I, and I love that story on all sorts of levels. And, you know, one of the things about punk and hardcore, at least from my experience, and I don't, I don't want to say this is true for everyone. I became more insecure about fitting in as I got older. And, you know, like, you know, I would played in my bands and done my stuff. But it, there's that point where it's like, well, you know, like, actually, I, I, I went all throughout university. I got these like advanced degrees and I'm starting my career. And I I couldn't like. I didn't have a peer group necessarily in punk and hardcore anymore. Like I couldn't talk to people about being a professional or what I did. And I, and it's not that I couldn't, I guess I was just afraid to, and like there wasn't that space for it. And I became way more insecure as I got older in punk. As I entered the corporate world, I was super insecure at first because I felt, I felt I had to fit in, but the longer I've gone in, I've gotten like way more secure. It's been like a weird inverse relationship. When I started in punk and hardcore, I was super secure. You're just a young kid. You're a skateboarder. Everyone's kind of like, oh, we're, in a, we're all in a minor threat. This is cool. But then when the stakes rose and, and belonging to that became much more important to me and also like the clear connections to it became like less and less and less for me. It, it made me more insecure. But then as I've been in the corporate world, I've become way, way more secure. And that's not saying one's good or one's bad. One of the things that I found about punk and hardcore is that I think it, it's tempting to, to or easy to get stuck there because there's like a clear success that you can replicate. You play a show and everyone goes crazy or you put out a record and everyone goes nuts. And this kind of like, playing small almost like I'm just going to stay in this little place where I know I've been successful and I'm just going to try and do that ongoing and not for everyone but I have noticed like there seems to be like kind of like a a tough space that people can fall in I'm I'm interested in your thoughts on that I think you're right uh and uh, you know I there's there's just sort of the maybe the the more surface level aspect of 
that being a younger, angrier person's game, right? Mm-hmm. It's a, it, it, at least I know that's what attracted me to it when I was a kid, right? That mm-hmm. it was, it was a place for me to express emotions and, and be connected to music and, and people that I wasn't having access to at school or, you know, uh, in, in my family or, or whatnot. And that's a comfort zone and you can get stuck in comfort zones. I think you can get stuck in any comfort zone and you have to continually challenge yourself. Right. And I think part of what you're talking about is, especially if you find success in that environment, it makes it that much harder to continue to push yourself. Right. You can imagine that if, you know, if, if the band you were in wasn't trying to be successful in the relatively small pond of parkour where, you know, especially in the area era when we were doing it, it was, it was so much easier than kind of, you know, in the eighties and nineties when there was no internet, there was no, you know, and it's, you could really, you could be reasonably successful for what that means in that scene. Uh, if you tried hard enough and you had a little bit of luck, you know, how you, if, if what you were trying to do was, you know, get on MTV or, uh, you know, win a Grammy, uh, you know, you may not have become as comfortable as you did because you, you didn't, you didn't win a Grammy and you weren't going to, but, uh, you know, but you were successful for the environment you were in. And that really helps, I think, to entrench that comfort. And how do you continue to push yourself when you're looking around and you're saying, Hey, I've, I've kind of achieved what I wanted to achieve or going back to my intro on allegiance achieved way more than I ever thought was possible or was the point. Right. Uh, and, and so how as a band or how as an individual, do you push yourself to do more, reach more people, spread another or different message, uh, or you just stay interested and dynamic in in any case. Yeah. And man, you, you hit right on it. Like, you know, and I don't want to imply staying like still putting out records or anything. There's anything negative about that. Like, for example, you've got um, some bands like uh, Sick of It All who've made a career out of it. You know, yep. and, like literally that's their career. That's that's awesome. And you also have some people who just do it as a cool creative outlet. Like, I mean, like, you know, like who's to say how many more records you and I might be involved in right. uh, in the rest of our lives. And I think that's cool. The difference, I guess, between getting stuck or hiding versus like just allowing it to be like a cool creative outlet, something you like to be involved in. And for me, I I can definitely say at one point, I know I was hiding. Like I was like not, um, I was playing small. I was just sticking to the place where I really knew like, Hey, this is a well I could just keep going back to. And like, I can, you know, I can, I can get what I need from this thing. I didn't realize it at the time, but it was like, it had stopped pushing me. Like you said, it had stopped stretching me. It had stopped, um, challenging me and making me a stronger better person instead it was just like kind of like a lesser and lesser and lesser iteration of of who i wanted to be and when i really like made a choice to start focusing on like my career and do all those things it was so weird because i didn't have that like constant um feedback cycle of like that crazy show you had or that record where it was like you're doing a good thing it was more like oh i was one of many, many, many people who were young professionals and you had to kind of like lift yourself up a little bit more. Did you ever experience anything like that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I can think about, 
you know, instances where, especially, you know, beginning my career, when I moved out of uh, the accounting sphere into corporate finance, which was, uh, you know, transition for me, I remember, and I was still doing allegiance at the time, right? So you have to imagine on one side of my life, I've got this experience where, you know, you're on stage and you know that time when you're in the middle of a song and the song like stops for a beat and the audience is looking at you almost like asking you what what's what's coming what are you about to do and then you 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 hammer drop that just huge riff on them and the place erupts and you get that just instant feedback of mm-hmm. man you're you're killing it and you're you are you are reaching us you're doing exactly you know what we want and so i you know that's something that i was really fortunate to be able to experience from time to time as as part of that uh, environment and now I'm, you know, in a in a boardroom with, you know, a, a group of professionals, executives, and I'm giving you sort of early presentations. And you, you, you build these things up in your mind. You try just as hard to write that deck and get that message across as you do, you know, putting that riff together. And you, know, you sit down at the table. You've got your you know, button-up shirt on and everything. Everybody's everybody's around you, somebody introduces your topic, the table stops, you know, looks at you in that same kind of way, you know, and, and you give sort of this stunted, stuttery, you know, I'm nervous, I'm not confident, uh, you stumble over this thing. And you know, the, the table does not get up and start circle pitting. You know, off of, <laughs> off of, off of the riff you just dropped about, you know, what's happening with headcount in the, in the company or something like that. Right. And so on the one hand, you know, you both have to get used to the fact that you don't get the same response in every environment. Right. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I don't think I could have had the confidence to get through those types of presentations and to learn and to say, Hey, I didn't get the reaction I wanted what could I do differently to get the reaction I want if, you know, I, I didn't have that experience being on stage in front of hundreds of people doing something I loved, getting a great reaction and getting that support. I mean, in high school, I was the kid who, you know, I'd have my, my little speech and I'd have it down. I'd be super confident. I've got this. I rehearsed it a dozen times. I know exactly what I'm going to say, how I'm going to say it. I'm going to nail this. I, I'm perfectly okay. And then the moment I open my mouth, it's just nothing. I've got nothing. I'm, I'm yeah. beat red. I'm stuttering. I'm sweating bullets. And that, that was me, right? And I couldn't speak. And hardcore changed that for me. I mean, it really did. And it gave me this sense of being able to be at the table. And sometimes it goes really well. Sometimes it doesn't. That doesn't really matter what happens in the moment. What happens is you know, how do you take that feedback that you got, whether it was overwhelming, underwhelming, and re, you know, reconfigure what you're going to do for next time so that you, know, you do get that. Yeah. And dude, when you said that like pause where it's the riff, I instantly thought of my pledge, that intro, like, na, 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 na. No, exactly. You know, like you're holding your guitar up and you're just yeah. looking around like, who's going to bring it? You know, <laughs> totally, totally, man. You know, it, it's funny that you're saying all this. Like when I was working in the not-for-profit sector as uh, like a therapeutic setting, um, my first 
few roles were all with a boss who was from the punk scene. And I never really had real reviews. Like my reviews were always like, hey man, you're doing a great job. It's like, awesome man, that you too. And then we'd like talk about youth of today or whatever, right? Like it wasn't like real world. I remember the first time I had like an actual real review from a yeah. boss that wasn't from the punk scene. And it was fine. It wasn't a bad review, but I was pissed. And I literally was thinking like, who the hell are you to critique me? And the thing is like, your boss <laughs> like that's who that person is but my brain didn't operate on that because i'd come from this culture where it's like so diy you kind of make your own rules but on the flip side it's actually like it sets you up to make you so um daring and such a risk taker but it also can give you a sense of like non-reality because then you're in that space where it's like well no like y- you gotta you gotta have like grit to be a professional and like mm-hmm. real grit to be able to professional and to be who you are while also being willing to learn yeah, I think that that's a really interesting concept because that that almost it can be a bit of a disrespect for authority or or a you know yeah. a pushback for authority that comes out of that out of that environment. And I understand where that comes from, and I have some respect for that. And I think that there's a certain degree of that that's necessary to keep us as individuals and as societies and companies and industries and everything just keep it moving forward you have to have a certain amount of willingness to push on on the status quo uh, at the same time you, you do have to at some point if you want to get better at what you do you have to be willing to listen to somebody who's better at you at doing it and and get your advice now i think that there's unfortunately i think we've all had managers who are just you know, surly, mean individuals, I'm your boss. I want you to do it this way. I want you to do it that way because that's the way I want you to do it. I want you to shut up and and just, you know, you did it wrong. And then I think you can have people who are giving you feedback and it's developmental feedback. It's it's maybe, you know, they're they're telling you that you could have done a better job, but they're really doing it because they're interested in being a steward of you as a professional and as a person and they want you to get better. They want to develop you. They want to mentor you. And and I've been very fortunate in my career to have several managers who fit that category, who are, you know, they're they're more of the mentorship mode and and who were effective at getting me to trust their feedback. And I think that that's a huge part of it, right? If you trust somebody and you trust your manager to be giving you that feedback, it means uh, it's much different than, you know, it's like, shut up mom and dad like you don't know what it's like you know it's it's mm-hmm. not that it's more hey i have a ton of respect for this person and what they do and how they do it and they're telling me that i could do something a little bit differently and so i'm i'm going to listen to that and it's i think that we you know you can get that from the punk and hardcore scene too right either as bands you know you listen to bands that you respect and you know, bands take you out on the road, bands do stuff for you, and they teach you the ropes. They teach you how this works. They teach you, you know, 
how to, wh whatever it is, you know, how to record better records, how to play better shows, how to reach a larger audience. And so it, there's a, there's a parallel for it in, in that environment as well. I think it's, uh, it's just about one, finding people you trust and two, being willing to take advantage of it. What I'm hearing too, and it was just occurring to me as you're speaking about it, like maybe that shift from contempt of authority to curiosity about authority. Mm -hmm. And like, you could like, I'll say just for myself, like I'd come in and be like, yeah, I guess you're my boss, but like, you know, I'm the shit. Like I know what I'm, I know what I'm doing and how limiting that was for my early career versus, uh, and also like I would seek out like punk bosses so I could kind of like hide, hide in that world. But, um, contempt from, of authority or leadership to curiosity and the curiosity would be one, well, actually, can you do things better? Is what you're doing ethical? Like, can we like change the industry? Can we push things? Can we push our standards? But also like, what do I have to learn from you? Like, where can I get better? And that shift from like contempt, that kind of blind contempt to more like curiosity will not also like leaving out like, you know, it's going to be some level of skepticism, but like real curiosity. I think that's like, at least for me, and it sounds like a bit for you as well. That's been like a hallmark of growth in my career. Yeah, for sure. One of the ways that I think about that or what, what you were saying reminded me of are conversations I've had that are disagreements, right? Mm -hmm. Things where I, I disagree with what, how you did that and not just, you know, I think you could have said 10 instead of eight. Like I have a fundamental disagreement. I, I feel like with what you did there. Uh, and I've also been really happy, been very lucky to have bosses who are willing to entertain those conversations with me. And I think that one of the responsibilities we have as people who want to push against authority is that you get to ask questions, but if you, if you're going to ask questions, you have to listen to the answer, right? Uh, I mean, if you want somebody to respect your question, res respect their response and, and really try to work with it and, and try to play with it and, and give them the opportunity to be responsive. And those are some of the best conversations I've had. And thinking back to you know, good management, good managers, things that I try to emulate, you know, when I work with people who, who are on my teams is one, you know, there's, there's that feedback piece, but there's also that willingness to entertain conversations about, you know, challenges, uh, be to be challenged and to not be sort of threatened by that, but instead use that as an opportunity to have a conversation with your colleague about why you do things the way you do it, uh, why they might do things a little bit of a different way and, and see if you can come together on that. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to ask you kind of mirror questions. Um, What's something that you learned about yourself solely from the punk scene? You didn't learn about it from your personal life. You didn't learn about it from your professional life. What's something that you learned about yourself solely that you learned from punk and hardcore? Uh, that I could be comfortable in very uncomfortable environments, right? I, <laughs> I, 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 grew, I grew up, uh, you know, I was very fortunate to, to grow up in, you know, what I think is, you know, uh, I was cared for as a child. Uh, you know, my, my, I had food on the table, always had clothes on my back. I never had to necessarily worry about our housing situation. There are so many challenges that kids grow up with that I didn't have. 
right? Mm. Uh, and it doesn't mean that, I mean, I didn't grow up super wealthy, I didn't, I, but uh, I had a lot of things that I didn't have to deal with that a lot of people have to deal with. And I guess what I'm trying to say is that for most of my life, I wasn't very uncomfortable. All right. And I think that it wasn't until, you know, whether it's, you know, trying to use the bathroom at Gilman or, uh, or, or living, you know, like I said, living in a van with six people for a month and a half and, and doing all that, or you're getting into altercations with, you know, people who are you know, in, in aggressive situations or, or otherwise, uh, you really being forced outside of comfort zones and, and being, you, know, you you've got to sink or swim sort of, because you know, there aren't necessarily going to be people there to hold your hand the whole time. Uh, so I think that's something that up until that point in my life, that was the first place that really gave me that poke. Like, Hey, you you are, you know, almost this feeling of like, Hey, you are not safe here. Uh, mm -hmm. Figure it out. I love that. All right. So now here's the mirror question. What have you learned in your professional journey that you didn't learn anywhere else? Something that you learned about yourself through, through your professional sphere? I think the, the thing that I learned most about uh, from my professional sphere is what it, and this is a little bit ironic because of you know, some of some of what uh, being a part of hardcore is, but I don't think it was actually until my professional life that I felt like I was a part of something bigger and how important that was for me. And, you know, I think it's, it's not to say that, you know, being a part of the straight edge movement or being a part of hardcore wasn't important to me. It was, uh, but looking back on it, I, I don't think it's as life, it wasn't as life defining as I would have probably wanted to believe it was at the time. Uh, I mean, I'm still very much into hardcore. I'm still straight edge. Like these things are part of my life, uh, but it's not uh, sort of like the thing that I choose to tell people about myself or, or, you know, something like that. And I think I get much more satisfaction out of being a part of if something that is trying to change the world on a global scale, like renewable energy. I mean, this was a big, a big part of the change in focus for me when I moved away from public accounting and into corporate finance happened very fortunately to land at a renewable energy company really by happenstance uh, and locked onto that and became a part of, you know, something that is really endeavoring to change the lives of everybody across the globe. And it, it feels really good to be a part of it. It's motivating. And I don't, I, I think it took me outside of myself in a way that earlier in school, you know, I was, I was a high performing student. I raced and swimming. I, I did all of these like individual pursuits, right? Like I was, I was on the swim team where I swam by myself. I was on the tennis team where I played singles tennis. I, you know, I, most, uh, it was just, everything was about individual achievement. And I think it wasn't, you know, really until my, I started to become successful in my professional career and looked around and said, and saw, look, okay, Ross Trenary is not really being successful here. This company is successful. This industry is successful. I'm successful because everybody else is around me. And I, and I think that that's something that I, I don't think I really appreciated about myself until I really, you know, started my career started to take off. And I, I love that. And I, I feel that so deeply about the work that I do with clients, but also about the company, like the company is like, it's weird because like people in the company are like my friends, but they're also like my, my team. And I, I'm so 
much more rewarded by their success than I could ever have imagined. Um, but now like we've hit into your, into your career. So let's talk about, like, let's talk about your entry into renewable energy and also how you've seen it change over time. Sure. I mean, from an entry perspective, like I said, it was a bit happenstance. Uh, it was, it was actually, uh, we're never, we're never going to escape hardcore in this conversation. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, it was, it was actually, um, the, the vocalist of allegiance. It was his father who had taken the chief financial officer position at this renewable energy company and he knew I was looking to leave this accounting firm. And so he called me up one day and said, hey, are you still looking to leave there? I need a corporate finance person. Do you want to do this? Sure. Uh, so, you know, I, I joined it, joined the industry that way. Uh, but, you know, I was I was lucky to join the industry. That was back in 2006 um, when it was a much smaller universe than it is today. And it's changed tremendously. I mean, and in a lot of ways, one, it's gotten so much bigger. It's gotten, it's sort of outrun um, some of the uh, sort of like subsidy necessity that it had in the past. It's kind of become economic in its own right. It's become valuable in its own right. Uh, it, more of the world is actively fighting climate change and looking to this as, as a positive alternative um, to producing energy through fossil fuels. The other thing that's happened to it, I think, that is a huge part of the, the industry today is it's gotten vastly more complicated, mm -hmm. vastly more complicated. And that's the part that's exciting, right? I mean, it's, I think that for, especially as a young professional with a whole career ahead of you, and how tragic if you fall into something that is just kind of going to run on autopilot for the next 30 yeah. years. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I couldn't have seen it coming. I'm not that smart of a guy, but it, it was really uh, fortunate that I fell into something that has been so dynamic. And my, you know, the, the work that I do today uh, and the people I do it with, the companies that are in the industry, what the industry is doing, the global regulatory environment, all of it. Uh, isn't it does it just doesn't look anything like what it looked like in 2006. Well, and it, it's interesting you're saying that because like renewable energy, I mean, when I was a kid, it was just kind of like, oh, solar energy, you know, like there was like that thing, but now it's becoming like this, it's not becoming, it has become this huge industry and the interest in it has really spiked. But of course the demand, I believe has kind of outstripped the ability of, of the providers to be there. So what is like, what do you do from an industry perspective when the demand for renewable energy is outstripping your ability to give it? Well, hopefully your elbows get a lot less sharp, right? Um, I think that as companies and as professionals, you start to realize that, look, I can, I can chase, I can try to make sure that that $1 that's out there right now lands in my bank account. Or what I can try to do is, you know, look around and just try to make the industry as a whole more successful. And by doing that, I think you do maybe two things. One, you prove that you actually stand behind your mission statement, which is generally not for a renewable company, be as profitable as possible. 
right? right but right. something to the extent of accelerate the energy transition or, or you know, something that sounds you know, pretty benevolent. Um, yeah. So you actually show people that you stand behind that mission statement, but also you make, you make the entire market bigger, you make the industry bigger, and you make it so that the dollars you know, that are, that are available to you later, there's, there's, there's more of them and it's easier to get them and we're all better off as a, as a result. So I think you start to collaborate more. You start to look around and say, look, like there are customers that aren't getting served. I can't serve them all. You know, maybe there's a way that we can collaborate and, and do a better job together. I think the other thing that you do, uh, and this is something that the company that I'm at now, Level 10 Energy, this is something that we've done, is that you start to look at why is that happening, right? Why is why can't supply keep up with demand? And a lot of times I think what you would find is that there's an infrastructure gap, right? So there's something in the way that people do things or in the way that people can't do things that there's an efficiency that's required uh, that that allows for the, the entire supply marketplace to do more, better, faster, cheaper, and, and so on. So an energy company, is it like, you know, you're not going to be like, our goal is to make all the most money. It is something going to, you're going to have more, uh, more of a benevolent mission statement. But that doesn't mean that there's not like corruption in the industry. And in fact, there can be like people who are going about something that's a noble cause, but they actually are doing it just to make money. So I love that idea of your elbows getting a little less sharp and hey, I'm not going to fight for that $1 to come to me. It can go to someone else in the industry to be able to really have proper so to, for the supply to meet the demand we actually have to have much more of a communal response as a market and i think that's super cool so with that though um in your pre-interview something you'd mentioned uh, about level 10 is that you have this like one goal uh mantra and that you just like really dedicated to transparency so what can you tell us about that yeah so uh, that's true and and there's a little bit of what I said right there makes it it's a good transition because there's the surface level of what one goal sort of how it came to be and then there's the deeper level of how you operationalize something like that or, re or really try to live it uh, and that's probably true with any good mantra or or hashtag so to, so to speak but but so it came about because really if you look across all of the companies in the industry almost all of them as a stated goal have accelerate the energy transition or you know mm -hmm. accelerate the clean energy transition and so really it was part of it is just a, a literal point out of hey we all have one goal all of us i have it all of my competitors seem to have it all of the sort of parallel companies that are that are through the industry doing a little bit of different thing but supporting it we all have this same goal so hey, it appears we have one goal. Um, and so that was an interesting observation that, that was made and, and, and where the sort of the statement came from, how it's been operationalized. It completely flipped the strategy of this company on its head, uh, where what the company was trying to do initially was compete with all of these other energy advisors. And again, there's this issue of sort of, well, you know, we're maybe going to reach one customer. They're going to reach... 30 customers, we're all you know, sharp elbowed and, and, you know, jostling around trying to win. And why don't instead we as level 10, the good thing that we could do was te technology. We had technology, we had infrastructure. And we said, all of these other companies have the same goal that we do. So rather than trying to ace them out of that particular customer, why don't we just focus on making our technology really good 
and getting all of them to use it. And so rather than you know, sort of beat them, we will make them all better. And mm -hmm. that will be our business. And yeah. that I think was transformational in terms of the company's mindset, in terms of its position in the industry and really what it's trying to do. And, and it encapsulates a, a bit of that conversation we had earlier. Yeah, I, I love that, man. So let's take a step into people leadership. You know, you're in the C-suite now, like CFO, that's, that's, a, that's a big title. It's a big role. And for some companies, that just literally means you're like, oh, I'm just like one person. I don't really, it's just like a title. And for yeah. other people, it means you're like leading like literally hundreds, if not thousands of people. You've obviously like helped develop people. You've probably had to let people go in the past. So you're, you understand professional development. So just like punk and hardcore and just like basically anything in the world, gatekeeping is an issue. So if you think about from a development standpoint, a leadership standpoint, what can you tell us about gatekeeping uh, in the professional world and how do you push back against that as a leader? Look, gatekeeping is everywhere, right? Um, I mean, you see it. There's always, there's always somebody in a position of power who enjoys that for one, one reason or another and wants to keep it. And they view you know, bringing others along as a threat to that position of power. You know, again, I've always been fortunate to to not have bumped up against too many of those people. And one of the things that was always very empowering for me as a younger professional was this idea that, hey, you did you did the work, you should be in the meeting. You you, know, you you're part of this process, you're a part of this project. Um, you know, we're going to present it to the CEO or we're presenting it to the board. Uh, but you know, I want you to at least, if, if nothing else, at least be an observer to that part of the process uh, and, and, you know, bring, bring people along. And I think that one of the worst things that you can do um, for, you know, a, a growing professional is to box them out of those types of experiences, you know, to keep them out of rooms. Uh, you know, I think that it's, it's stunting. Um, and it also keeps, you know, this is as a leader, you have to remember, this is the person that's going to do the work the next time, right? I'm not, they, they crafted a presentation. Maybe I'm going to give the presentation, but I'm going to ask them to craft it again next time. And how much better will it be if they watch me give it and can be a part of that feedback session hear directly and see it directly what worked, what didn't, you know, what made the table get up in circle pit, uh, you know, but, <laughs> but, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's that type of effort, right. And it, and you get a better result. You get a, a more motivated colleague, you get, you know, there's, there's so much reward. And I think for people who can tap into that and see that you, know, you, you get a better product if you're a better leader, I think that, that that's a big part of it. Yeah, I, man, I, I love that so much. And gatekeeping is really everywhere. And like, you know, I, I, I know the experience of it in hardcore where you're like, damn, like, hey, we're just like, we're all just people trying to like find ourselves. We're just kids. We're, we're trying to figure it out. And yeah. feeling like, oh, that feels really bad to the times where like, damn, did I gatekeep you there? Was I being like that? And then also in the professional world where it's like, I have bumped up against people like that professionally. It's like, damn, like, you know, there's plenty of space for everybody. You just got to like, you got to go from an abundance model rather than uh, um, feeling everything's a scarcity. And like, we can lift people up if we do it from the right, the right perspective with the right way. But with that, I'm going to ask you three more questions as we're closing off. Uh, the first one's a doozy though. <laughs> okay. Okay. You today, as you are today, 
in, in the professional world and per, your personal life and everything you've learned from punk and hardcore, but also just from being a person. Today, how do you define success and how do you define failure? I think with success, it's, you know, it's a oneness. It's, it's a, am I, am I living my life consistently? Am I the same person? Do I show up as the same person in this room and this room and this room? And if I brought 10 people from my life who don't know each other together, they would all have sort of a consistent experience, right? They would know the same person. Uh, yeah. you know, I think at different parts of my life, that wasn't always true. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I think that that led to a lot of, you know, a lot of sources of unhappiness or dissatisfaction or feeling like I wasn't quite where I wanted to be, um, had, had something to do with, with that. And I, and I worked hard at it, right? We talked a lot about you know, showing up as the same person in hardcore as showing up at the, as the same person at school and showing up at the same person at work. Uh, and in some, some cases I was successful at it. And, and maybe I brought up that example at that point in the conversation, because that is a meaningful indicator to me of where not, when I was being at my best sort of yeah. and being successful and that, you know, when I'm not consistent is, is, is sort of an indicator uh, of, of not being as successful, I suppose. Uh, and when it comes to failure, you know, I think that, uh, as, the biggest thing that I think about is when I'm, when, when people who are looking to me for help or, or guidance or support, uh, when, when they don't succeed. Mm. Right. Uh, so whether it's, you know, I have a seven-year-old son, whether it's him, you know, and he's trying to learn or figure something out and, He's not getting it. And, and part of him not getting it is maybe that I'm not spending enough time, you know, working through it with him or, or it's at work and you, somebody's struggling with something and struggle with it over and over and over again. And it's, maybe it's that, you know, my feedback's not the right feedback or something like that. Uh, I think that those are the, the areas where failure hits the most home where somebody's depending on you. And, and I almost define my, my own failures by other folks in my life struggling to find success really brilliant answer man really strong all right last two questions now these might be harder questions i don't know we'll see. all right all right second last question top three for you and you could change your answer tomorrow next week it doesn't matter but right now top three for you bay area hardcore bands oh boy um okay so let's see here oh this is such a hard this is a way harder Question. Okay. Hardcore punk. You can also include such punk a, too. So hardcore <laughs> and punk. Such a harder question. Um, okay. So look, I, just because they're, you know, they're, they're trying to make, make a comeback. I'm going to mm -hmm. go with powerhouse. Uh, Respect. There, there, there's something happening there. I saw, yeah. I saw some social media posts that there's, there's, some, there's, there's some running, running going on. So that, that's mm -hmm. always cool. Um, I think, you know, from back in the day, one of the bands that I really respect, and this is going back to that conversation you had about not sort of resting on your laurels and finding ways to continue to challenge yourself. And, uh, and this is the band ceremony where, mm. you know, back when allegiance was playing, this band blew up huge, you know, really, really fantastic band, awesome people, uh, such a great mindset and an ethos. And if you listen to their last 
record, it is nothing like their first record. And it's amazing. It's, it's still, it's still great. Right. So this is a band that truly has not sat down, right. They continue to challenge themselves. Oh, and a, and a third, um, I'm, you know, I'm so loath to, to pick a third because it means that I, I, you know, it's going to be like the tomb of the unknown, unknown soldier, you know, anybody could have been there. <laughs> Uh, so I'm going to leave, I'm going to leave the third and, and all the Bay Area bands could have been the third. I like that concept. Uh, and instead, you know, I think my, I'll just say my, you know, my favorite kind of punk, hardcore, aggressive, uh, band is another sort of ever evolving, never dead band Converge, which, you know, Mm -hmm. they've been a band for, uh, who knows, 80 years um and and just continue to do awesome things not just with their band but with art and recording and it's just it it's inspiring to see people kind of take take a take something that could have been just a flash and pan you know part of their life and and turn it into so much more yeah man i love those answers so powerhouse like huge respect i'm super psyched they're coming back like it's i think that's so awesome and like a band that kind of got lost a little bit in yeah. time, but was like unbelievable band. So that's cool. Ceremony. Like, I mean, in a lot of ways, they're like the last great punk band, like their records get more punk in my opinion, not, not sounding, but like from an ethos perspective, yeah. the way they approach it, like they're just like, this real, a real band and never put out a bad record. I'd even go so far as to say never recorded a bad song. And then of course, Converge, like sick. It's like, so, so great. All right. Last question our audience is, is, uh, kind of an interesting crossroads of people. So we get like straight up total corporate people who've never even heard of like ceremony or converge or any of these bands. We get lots of corporate people. We get people from punk and hardcore scene. We get artists, we get athletes, we get social workers. It's really started to become a landing place for people who are interested in, in one thing. And that thing is leadership. So if this podcast is really about anything, it's about leadership in all of the different ways it shows up you know, as I've known you throughout time, you're just, you're just a, a leader, you know, you've always just been like a guy that stood out to me as someone who marches their own path, but with just so much like respect and caring compassion, you could be different from your next person without being a jerk. And it, it's just been cool to watch you grow and to know you today. What can you share with us about your philosophy about leadership? I think that if it came down to one word and it's not just about leadership, but it's so much of your life, I would say, uh, transparency. Right. Uh, and transparency means so many things and it encapsulates things like honesty and, and things like, you know, consistency and, and knowing, you know, yourself and your situation and so on and, and communication. Right. Uh, but it's also requires intelligence because uh, transparency at a leadership level isn't always you tell everybody everything. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it's, it's not. It can't be. And so it's, it's about finding you know, a way to communicate, bring people in, don't exclude people, don't gatekeep, but uh, you create a, an environment where people feel like they're engaged, feel like they're, you know, one of and, and not excluded uh, and, and where people can work and trust and devote themselves because they feel like they really know, you know, what everybody's up to. And, and so I think tra- transparency uh, and trying to find that, you know, both as you report up through a structure and out from a structure and, you know, through all of your colleagues and, and all of the team members, 
I, I think that that's probably the, the the place one where I see people fall down the most, uh, and one uh, that I've really spent a lot of time focused on trying to feel feel out how that works for me. Man, that's so awesome. All right, as we're closing off, any last words? Circle pit. <laughs> Finally, finally, I, I we've like, got... no, but I, I wanted to say it the whole time and I just never had the opportunity, you know? Um, so I just, I wanted to get that out there. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, it hasn't come up at all so far yeah. and, and you got to end strong. Thank you so much for being on the show. You know, what's cool about this conversation is like, we, we covered a lot of professional stuff, which is important, a lot of industry stuff, but also just what makes you tick as, as a professional person. And I think there's just such value in just saying like, man, like, you know, I am who I am. I'm a, I'm, I'm continuing to grow. I'm continu- continuing to work on myself. I want to get value from other people and I can add value. And a lot of that has to do with coming from punk and hardcore, but it also has to do with finding, finding your way in, in a world that's not solely based on those rules. And again, it's just been great to see you develop as a person and as a professional. And thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah, that's all mutual. Uh, and, and thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun. You bet. All right, everyone. Uh, we'll hit some closing thoughts in our outro. And Spencer, drop the beat. Ross, I love you, man. It was so great to hear everything that he had to say. Uh, you know, I, I was I was kind of in two minds. I was with the conversation as it was happening, as both Ross and I, as like adult professionals now, and I was also thinking, like, man, like. Of the other mind, I was like, we're still in the tour van together and we're just these young kids because both of them are kind of present in our day to day. Such a cool story, such a wonderful person and really strong lessons. The thing that stands out to me the most is like, he's in like a CFO. He's in like a job that I think a lot of people would consider like, oh, like really corporate and really stiff. But he's still just this wonderful dude from the punk scene. He's truly stayed who he is. He's just the the best version of himself that he's ever been. And that idea that you're going to change. Everyone's going to change. You can't stop change. But why not try to be behind the driver's wheel of it? Why not try and pick the destination and change in ways that you believe in and that you're actively pursuing? Yes, life is going to throw you curveballs. Sometimes they're going to be great ones and sometimes they're going to be terrible ones. But if you're behind that driver's wheel, you stand a better chance of getting to the destination you want eventually rather than going off the road. So with that, Ross, thanks again for being on the show. It's such a wonderful experience uh, talking to you about it. And, you know, everyone check out Level 10 because it's a, it's definitely a super cool company. So as we're closing off, I want to remind you all that we're produced and edited by Spencer Priest, recorded by Patrick McKechnie and with design by Tammy Levy. With that, my name is Aram Arslanian and I'll see you next time on One Step beyond.